You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A court date today in connection with a crime that rocked the Lower Mainland. Two teenagers attacked in their school, one stabbed to death. And today, lawyers arguing if the man charged is fit to stand trial. Ramina Dea was in court for Gabriel Klein's hearing. And Ramina, a doctor saying Klein has some serious mental health issues. Absolutely, Chris. Um, the psychiatrist for Gabriel Klein says that he's had two fitness assessments in the last week. And his conclusion, he can't unequivocally say whether or not he is fit to stand trial at this point. It changes on the day. Dr. Marcel Hediger is concerned, though, that the stress of a trial could lead to the risk of violence in the courtroom, given Klein continues to hear voices. Hediger says Klein is schizophrenic and his psychosis has worsened in the last two weeks. He has said the CIA tried to kill him, prison guards want to poison him, and he's heard voices telling him to rape and harm another patient. Now, Klein is accused of stabbing two grade nine students in their Abbotsford school in November 2016. 13-year-old Letitia Reimer was killed and the other students survived. In law, the most challenging thing is can this person in his current psychological psychiatric state, can he meaningfully participate in the process? Now, the doctor says that Klein's paranoia has improved a little bit, but he's in the process of getting his medications changed right now, and it's going to take about a month before they can figure out whether or not he's making any progress. But the clock is ticking here because this trial is expected to begin in a few weeks on May 7th. This is back tomorrow, New Westminster Supreme Court. Um, the hearing continues tomorrow with both lawyers for both sides making submissions. Back to you. All right, we'll see what happens then. Thanks, Romina. Two BC ferry workers needed rescuing today after an accident during a safety drill. The drill involved the Queen of Cumberland. A rescue boat was being lifted onto the ferry when the davits failed, sending the boat into the water with two deckhands on board. Terminal staff launched a workboat and retrieved the pair. Both of those employees were wearing uh, their survival suits as well as the uh, personal protective equipment. Both were taken to hospital for assessment. It's my understanding one of the employees did sustain some injuries. Uh, the other, thankfully, was not injured. The Queen of Cumberland, which serves Swartz Bay to the Gulf Islands, was pulled from service for the remainder of the day while investigators determine why those davits failed. Now to a possible road rage incident that ended with a power outage in a Vancouver neighborhood. It happened this morning at Granville and 37th. Our Nadia Stewart is near that scene tonight. Nadia, when you see the crash, it's really lucky that no one was seriously injured. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, uh, Chris, that nobody was hurt. And you can still see the remnants of the crash here behind me. Uh, the trees pushed back a bit. There's uh, a broom that the tow truck driver used to, to clean up the mess here. And it was really quite the mess this morning. Uh, knocked out power to 38 customers in this area from about 9 o'clock until 3.30 this afternoon. Here's what happened. Two cars heading southbound, a BMW and a Toyota Corolla. Somehow the two cars collided and the Corolla slammed into the power pole, flipped over. You can probably see in the pictures there a pretty amazing end to this crash. But the real, uh, I guess, incredible part is that nobody was seriously hurt.
driver's fine. He's uh, taken out of the vehicle, no problems, and he was just transported to VGH as a precaution. I think he had his seatbelt on, so uh, that saved him. Now, the investigation into exactly what happened uh, continues, but there is some speculation tonight that this could be a case of road rage. Uh, VPD tell us that the investigation continues. They are, of course, looking for witnesses, and they are speaking with both drivers. Back to you, Chris. Okay, thanks, Nadia. Support for Kinder Morgan's pipeline expansion appears to be growing in B.C., at least according to a new poll. Overall, support in this province is up this month over February, with 54 percent in favor of the project and 38 percent opposed. John Hua has more on the poll's findings, including what respondents are most concerned about. Passionate protests, run-ins with police, and unwavering opposition. No, Kinder Morgan! That's the picture of British Columbians' position on the Kinder Morgan pipeline expansion. The federal government's already decided and it it should be completed. He's not alone. A new poll shows a silent majority in B.C. that supports the pipeline expansion is growing. What I think these numbers show is that while the protesters are vocal, the needle is moving on this issue. As Alberta and BC barrel towards each other in a game of constitutional chicken. We'll be filing our reference court case in the uh, BC Court of Appeal by April 30th. Legal ground seems to mean more than moral motivations. Without the court's backing, only 31% in BC would stand firm. 69% say at that point they would give in. British Columbians don't really want to be offside with the courts. But according to the numbers, it's never been about blocking the pipeline at all costs in this province, but protecting the coast. I could create a lot of jobs and all of that, but we really need to worry more about our West Coast. More than half who support it still say an oil tanker spill or accident is their greatest concern. For the federal government, what it needs to do is is really convince British Columbians that there is a spill response plan in place that is visible, that is credible, that is believable. Almost three quarters of those canvassed are very concerned about the consequences of a diluted bitumen spill. Uh, that strikes me as right where I want to be. Perhaps the biggest cause of shift in opinion an arbitrary date imposed by Kinder Morgan to appease its own investors, forcing some to ignore the political fireworks and others to up the ante. John Hua, Global News. All right, let's bring in our Keith Baldry for more on the province's next move. Keith? Yeah, you saw, I heard a reference to it in John's uh, story from Environment Minister George Heyman re- uh, referring to the reference case. This is a case that now is going to be uh, put in front of a court by the end of this month uh, that will determine whether or not B.C. has any constitutional authority over the regulation of bitumen in B.C. A lot of people think that's a federal jurisdiction. B.C. wants to test that in court. David Eby today explaining why he's going to the Court of Appeal rather than the B.C. Supreme Court. In this case, uh, one of the big uh, factors informing our decision to go to the Court of Appeal was our desire to get finality around this as soon as possible. This is the highest level of court to which we can go in British Columbia. We asked the federal government, do you want to participate in a joint reference? Do you want to go? Uh, Potentially, we could go directly to the Supreme Court of Canada in that situation and get finality on this. Uh, As far as what we're able to do by law, uh, we're only able to go to the B.C. Court of Appeal, uh, and uh, and that's the direction we're going. If you don't get satisfaction in the Court of Appeal, would you go to the Supreme Court of Canada? Uh, we, I will cross that bridge when we come to it. 
Further muddying the waters, late today, Kinder Morgan issued a note to their investors saying that they find currently find the pipeline project to be untenable, suggesting they may walk away. That doesn't mean that's the end of it. Look for Ottawa and or Alberta to step in and build it on their own if need be. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Dramatic pictures now of a mudslide in the Kootenays. Crews are on scene assessing the damage. The slide closed Highway 3A between Nelson and Castlegar. Thankfully, there are plenty of ways to get around the mess. Three detours, in fact. But if you are planning on being in the area, best to check Drive BC before you head out. Meantime, crews are also working to repair Highway 33, about 22 kilometers east of the junction with Highway 97 in the Joe Rich area. A section of that highway disappeared in a washout. There's no word on when the route will be reopened. Detours are available, and again, check Drive BC before you go. And a crash involving a lumber truck created quite a mess in Delta this morning. The big rig lost its load on Highway 17 on the approach to the Alex Fraser Bridge. It blocked eastbound traffic on Highway 17 and one lane westbound, delaying traffic for hours. Thankfully, no one was injured. The area has seen multiple problems. And last year, the province announced a $245 million plan to improve the intersection. Work is to start this year and be complete in 2023. The province announcing today thousands of new affordable homes are on the way for renters in B.C. The government releasing new details on how it plans to use some of the $7 billion announced in the budget. 14,000 new rental homes will be built for families and low- and middle-income seniors. Units will start getting approved now, but it will be a couple of years or so before they hit the market. Locations are province-wide based on applications. Buildings funded through this initiative will include a mix of rent levels, from deep subsidy units for people with low incomes to housing aimed at low- and moderate-income families and individuals. Individuals who are struggling in a rental market that is becoming absolutely unaffordable for far too many. Projects will be prioritized based on a number of criteria, including targeted clients and the impact the project would have in reducing the community's affordable rental housing need. You could soon find beer, wine and spirits in Vancouver grocery stores. Last night, City Council approved the store within a store model. Grace Key explains what your neighborhood grocery store needs to do to qualify and when you could see it up and running. Vancouver grocery stores will be the first in the province to start selling beer, wine and hard liquor. City Council approved zoning bylaw amendments and can soon start taking applications. It's a store within a store model, meaning liquor stores will be set up in a separate area with its own cashiers. But not everyone is jumping on the opportunity. This week, Save on Foods will start selling BC wines in Cloverdale, marking its 17th wine-on-shelf location, preferring a food and wine pairing for its customers. Customers just really want to buy local and they want to support the local growers and economies, and if they can add a delicious glass of BC wine to their meal while they're at the grocery store, they think it's great convenience. You won't see a flood of Vancouver grocery stores start to sell liquor. That's because under B.C. liquor control regulations, stores still need to be at least 10,000 square feet in size and a kilometer away from existing liquor stores. Choices Markets doesn't have the space in any of its five locations and only one store is more than a kilometer away from a liquor store. The city chose the more restrictive store-within-a-store model, citing health and safety concerns and selling wine on shelves. I find it ironic, given Vision's flexibility on marijuana, yet on wine, 
uh, they're completely, uh, you know, evangelical about it. Grocery stores could buy out the nearest liquor store or go into a joint venture. A city report indicated there were 30 commercial areas that had a large enough grocery store to accommodate the relocation of a liquor store. We'll see what sort of interest there is and, and assess applications from there. Uh, we we will process them as quickly as possible. And uh, again, each, each application has different nuances that we'll need to work through. Drug stores will not be allowed to sell liquor. Policy and guidelines will be reported to council next month, and if approved, city staff will start taking applications May 14. Grace Key, Global News. Well, a day after the park board called out 420 organizers for last year's mess, the pot committee says it will pay up this year. Dana Larson saying he has informed Vancouver city manager that 420 organizers will cover the non-policing costs of the Sunset Beach event, including engineering, traffic control, sanitation, and emergency management. He also says they've spent around $20,000 on a special turf protector so the grass doesn't get ruined. The city of Vancouver estimated the bill for the event was just under $250,000 last year. Texas police had no idea what they were getting into with a report of a truck crashing into a house. The explosive results coming up. And trouble in paradise, a family trapped by floodwaters until a world-famous surfer shows up to rescue them. That's later on the news hour. Right now, though, some local fallout tonight after the U.S. government ordered the shutdown of Backpage.com, alleging that it enabled prostitution and advertised underage girls for sex. But as Paul Johnson reports, local sex trade workers say the shutdown will force them back onto the streets and into greater danger. When Backpage, the sex trade's biggest online advertising platform, was shut down by the FBI, anti-trafficking groups applauded. It's really a form of slavery, modern-day slavery. But in Vancouver... Sex worker advocate Kit Rothschild says there's been another consequence. People are terrified, but like literally petrified. Rothschild says as trafficking investigations close down websites that sex workers rely on, many will be forced to go back to where they were before the internet. I think we're going to see a lot of people moving out outdoors, and that is going to increase their risk of harm. Backpage had the lion's share, certainly. Uh, of the market. Seattle sex worker and author Maggie McNeil says sites like Backpage were empowering for many in her business. The internet made it possible for sex workers to do that for themselves. So they didn't need to have a third party, whether it be an escort service or a brothel or a pimp, uh, taking a cut. And underneath all of this is a huge debate over how much sex work is consensual and how much of it is the result of forced trafficking. And there simply isn't any good data that both sides can agree on. Canadian anti-trafficking groups say they support the Backpage takedown, citing the unknown number of women and girls they say are trafficked in Canada every year. As for Rothschild, a former sex worker herself, she's skeptical the crackdown will do much good. There are so many reasons that people do sex work, and very few of them are violence-related. Most of them are related to economics. Like, we can blame capitalism more than we can blame trafficking. Paul Johnson, Global News. An outgoing Vancouver City Councilor wants to change the way your ballot looks when you take it to a voting booth for the next municipal election. As Jeff Hastings reports, Andrea Reimer says the evidence shows alphabetical order ballots 
favor candidates with certain names. Vancouver will vote this fall. A new mayor and at least a couple of new councillors will be elected. And it might be time for a slight but significant change in how we choose our civic leaders. If you're at the top of a ballot, you have a much higher chance of getting elected. Uh, you see this quite dramatically in Vancouver, where 60% of our councillors have a last name that begins with A, B, C, or D. The solution sounds simple. Take that list of candidates and scramble it. Randomly arranged ballots should take away any advantage that A, B, C, and D candidates currently enjoy. To find examples of the alphabetic advantage, you just need to find a phone book, even though these days that's easier said than done. Looking in this one, we've got A, all line painting, and A, active towing, well ahead of everyone else. Councillor Reimer isn't running again and says her attempts to recruit newcomers to civic service have been difficult if the prospect has a later letter, last name. I've worked to try and get women to run, to get Indigenous people to run, to get people from different cultures to run, and you would not believe how many of them say to me, I don't even have a chance, I'm too far down the ballot. Uh, I get a little bit tired of people telling me, oh, you only won because of your last name. Councillor George Affleck, that's with one A, isn't running again either. I'm supportive of this. I think it's important that people trust our system, and if there is this uh, sense that there is something wrong with our voting system, then if there's any ways we can tweak it to make it more, uh, to, to enhance it, to make it better so people trust the City Hall, uh, I think that's worth doing. Affleck wants a couple of cost issues studied first, something that should be done within the next month hopefully in time to have randomly ranked ballots in place for the next election. John Aardvark uh, <laughs> will not be uh, pleased with this outcome. Jeff Hastings, Global News. Meantime, Vancouver Council has approved the motion we told you about last night to allow permanent residents to vote in the municipal election. Under current laws, voters must be Canadian citizens to vote, barring permanent residents even if they work, live and pay taxes in the city. Council believes including permanent residents will increase voter participation. The change has to be approved by the provincial government. Well, we've seen how volatile the cryptocurrency craze is, and now another blow for Bitcoin traders, this time from the big banks. Our consumer reporter Andrew is here now with more on what's happening and the impact on those who are trying to cash out. Yeah, some people facing long delays, thanks to you too. Earlier this year, the U.S. big banks started halting purchases of cryptocurrencies on their credit cards, and now it appears Canadian financial institutions don't want the credit risk associated with those transactions either. Last December, you may recall, Bitcoin surged past $21,000, a meteoric rise considering the virtual currency was trading at less than $1,000 at the start of 2017. This week, Bitcoin is trading at around $8,000 U.S. As cryptocurrency values trend downwards, it's getting harder to cash out. Big banks are cracking down. RBC, TD Bank, Scotiabank, and CIBC have all banned customers from using credit cards to buy cryptocurrency. BMO going one step further, no longer allowing the purchase of cryptocurrencies via Interact online payments or on its credit or debit cards. Even just con consumers, you know, indicating to the bank that they want to take some of their funds and go buy some Bitcoin, um, that'll result in frozen accounts and slow wire transfer times. They're very, very frigid to Bitcoin because they ultimately see it as competition, right? Bitcoin is, is reinventing the, the monetary system that we, we know and, and appreciate. But um, right now, banks are, are taking the approach that they'd rather freeze out Bitcoin than, than find a way to live with it. 
essentially an app. Vogel runs the only publicly traded Bitcoin exchange in North America and has not seen any service interruptions. Those who are experiencing delays in cashing out can try Bitcoin ATMs. He says they offer buying and selling with lower risk as you don't have to trust a middleman with your money. It happens instantly and in store, but the rates, which are normally locked in at the time of the buy and sell, can be higher. And just to add here, most of the Bitcoin exchanges that are reportedly having issues getting payments to investors are private companies with no direct accountability. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my information. You can email me at consumermatters@globalnews.ca. Extra volume over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge headed south after clearing an earlier stall. It was southbound at the north end. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, when you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. For the absolute best in collision repair and autoglass, choose Kermac Collision. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Uh, just in shock, totally shocked. Closer look tonight at the extensive damage caused by flooding on the Hawaiian island of Kauai. The flooding causing the local river to branch out and form new channels right through neighborhoods where one home recently sold for $14 million. The torrential rain and floods also causing mass evacuations and triggering emergency relief efforts. This is the state of emergency still unfolding in Kauai, leaving the Hawaiian island with roads underwater, vehicles overturned, and homes washed away. The most severe flooding leaving some tonight still waiting for rescue. The National Guard, the Army, and the Coast Guard airlifting more than 340 people out. But even those in shelters still need help after nearly 30 inches of rain in 24 hours. We tried not to let the kids see, but I was terrified. The Williams family on vacation from San Diego was tracked until famed surfer Laird Hamilton came to their rescue in a small boat. It's hard to concede that that much water could come from the sky and, I mean, it was like an ocean back there. With power out and access cut off, the full extent of the damage is still unclear. The water came through my mom's bedroom and then just kind of jetted through the house. Tonight, a race against time to get supplies to the many still stranded as a new storm barrels in. Disaster in paradise with more trouble on the horizon. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News. A deadly explosion aboard a Southwest Airlines jet yesterday is putting pressure on airlines and regulators to inspect all engine blades. Investigators say a fan blade snapped off as the jet cruised at 800 kilometers an hour at 30,000 feet. That set off a catastrophic chain of events that shattered one of the jet's windows and killed 43-year-old Jennifer Rorden, a mother of two. Some passengers reportedly bought in-flight Wi-Fi as the plane descended quickly so they could say goodbye to their loved ones. The jet's pilot... Tammy Jo Schultz is credited for calmly bringing the jet in for a safe landing. Schultz is no stranger to pressure in the air, having been one of the first female fighter pilots in the U.S. Navy. More funerals today for victims of the Humboldt bus tragedy, including a player who roughhoused with his teammates, raced around on ATVs, and knew the ins and outs of the TV show The Bachelor. In Slave Lake, Alberta, 21-year-old Broncos forward Connor Lucan was remembered as a great man on and off the ice. 
The president of the Broncos and his wife were Lucan's billet parents. They delivered an emotional eulogy filled with memories of Connor and the loss they share with his family. One day we will stop listening for him to come in or anticipating that his shoes will be in the doorway instead of on the shelf. We might be able to stop saying it's in Connor's room when we're looking for something. But we will never forget this young man who came to us for a season. But will stay with us forever. The Humboldt GoFundMe campaign, which closes tonight, has now raised more than $14.5 million in 11 days from nearly 140,000 donations. And Broncos athletic therapist Dana Bronze was also killed with 15 others in the crash that shook this nation. About 2,000 people attended her memorial today in Humboldt, many wearing green, her favorite color. Bronze worked not only for the Broncos, but for a Saskatoon lacrosse club and for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. You talk to any coach or teacher and they're going to tell you, you know, when you see past students have success in, in, in the real life, <laughs> um, you're always happy for them. And uh, Dana, this was the case with Dana too. Tributes to bronze have been created at both the University of Regina and at Mount Royal University in Calgary, where she once studied. In Health Matters tonight, a special ceremony on this National Volunteer Week to honor a champion blood donor. Linda Aylesworth has the story of the amazing generosity and dedication of the woman affectionately known as Granny B. And Granny B, where'd you give? A pint of blood, hee hee. Want to be happy? Thank you. Then meet Beatrice Janik. In the morning, in the evening, ain't we got fun? She is, in the words of one of her three sons, one of the most energetic, well-meaning people you'll ever run into. At the age of 95, Beatrice shows no signs of slowing down. As always, she gives of herself, her time, her spirit, her blood. Thank her for her service, and you'll get this response. Jeepers, I'm the lucky one to be here to give. Beatrice holds the distinction of being Canada's oldest blood donor ever. Over the lifetime, over you know six or seven decades, she's donated well over two, maybe 300 times. She started giving in the 1940s after her husband was injured in a sawmill accident and needed blood transfusions. Today she gives every three months with no fanfare, but today is different. We've got quite a club here, haven't we? At the Canadian Blood Service in Vancouver, Beatrice has drawn a crowd. Another one on the floor. Say a prayer for me when you're down there. <laughs> the occasion, Beatrice is at long last being honoured. Canadian Blood Service is, is proud to honour you as Canada's oldest ever blood dog. God bless you all. For me, to me, knowing I can save somebody's life, that's so important. It says, congratulations, Beatrice Janik. You've been saving lives since the 40s. Her secret to a long and happy life, be positive, be grateful, and be giving. Well, we said everybody here was as happy as we are and healthy. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Whistler's answer to its accommodation shortage, the first of its kind in Canada, is getting closer to opening day. 
Aaron MacArthur has a sneak preview of the new pod hotel aimed at skiers and boarders who don't need a lot of space to get some shut-eye. It's all hands on deck trying to get Whistler's newest hotel up and running by July. The Pangea, unique in every sense of the word. This is a pod, right? right. So this is your little, your little cabin. Forget the idea of a hotel suite. At this place, you can touch all four walls without getting out of bed. All the beds are double beds, but you have that feeling of space. The Pangea is Canada's first pod hotel, right in the heart of Whistler Village. Think upscale boutique finishing with hostel-sized personal space. 40 square foot bunks with shared bathroom facilities. It's not for everyone. The price is right. Appeal to you? Not really. But the owners believe there is demand for this type of product. We want young professionals who simply cannot afford to come up to Whistler today. You know, they're young, they're active, they want to come and they want to play here. They need to buy lift tickets, you know, rent gear, eat out. Like, they just simply can't afford to spend five grand on a week's worth of accommodation before they've done that. The price of a room in Whistler can fluctuate wildly. A three-star hotel can be 130 bucks in shoulder season, yet 900 a night over the Christmas break. Pangeo won't release its pricing until May, but it will be significantly cheaper. For a segment of the market, Whistler isn't necessarily attracting right now. It's attracting that niche market, so you've got your singles and couples that are looking to be in the heart of the village. They're uh, happy with the experience there, with the pod and the social interaction, um, but they're not looking to pay for maybe all those bells and whistles at a hotel. Despite the mad rush to get things finished, the plan is to have everything ready at the Pangea before the end of summer and guests sleeping in their pods well before next ski season. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Texas police called out for a car crashed into a house, not knowing that was the least of their problems. The explosive surprise right after the forecast. It's quite amazing. All right, let's check in with Christy now, and uh, mm-hmm. it turned out to be a really nice day. I thought for a moment about putting the patio umbrella up out in the courtyard, but then I thought, no, no, no. Well, it'll catch the rain. Right. Right. It comes back. That's right. When it comes back. And we have more rain in the forecast. But wait till you see the stretch of weather that I have in store for us after that bit of rain. But yes, it was beautiful. However, we weren't completely in the clear. We saw a lot of high-level clouds. So quite a few emails showing us the halo. Uh, and that's that high-level cloud. There's ice crystals actually in that cloud that actually refracts the light and creates the halo and distorts the sunshine. Thanks to Michael for that one. Um, tomorrow is going to be beautiful. One beautiful day before the rain returns. So lots of sunshine. Late in the day, we will see a bit more high-level cloud, but temperatures will warm up to 13 and 17 degrees away from the water. Now, the rest of the province as well. Lots of sunshine right across the region, except for those of you across the north coast. Wet and windy, and that rain is going to push down into the south coast later Friday. So late Friday into our Saturday, we are going to get wet, everyone. But uh, at least we've got one day before that happens. There's the rain across the north coast. Further inland some cloud cover those of you who are in the southern interior temperatures overnight will be chilly so down to one degree expected to be frosty in the morning but in the afternoon 19 in Kamloops 17 in Kelowna 18 in Soyuz terrific conditions and for the south coast a range always will cooler by the water 13 in Vancouver and up to 17 away from the water out in the Fraser Valley you'll see that as well but beautiful sunshine mainly in the morning with a bit of high level cloud late in the day and that is our Friday mainly cloudy with rain in the afternoon we'll see that rain into our Saturday morning but then conditions begin to clear and it will be drier later on and then check out this stretch of weather oh 
I had a look. I know. Incredible. I had a look back in the record books, and you have to go all the way back to the beginning of October to see a stretch of weather like this. So we deserve it, everyone. Uh, Hopefully, I mean, it's still days away. Hopefully that continues to be the case as we get closer, but it certainly uh, looks pretty strong, that nice ridge of high pressure. I want to leave you with uh, this beautiful shot from Jane and Jerry Kyle, uh, two little baby hummingbirds just outside their window. Thank you so much for that uh, precious photo. And a reminder to, of course, check out or watch for the contest code word, and you can win a spectacular trip to Haida Gwaii. Go to our website at globalnews.ca slash bc slash contests. All right. More info. Thanks very much, Christy. Police in Hearst, Texas, were called out to a report of a car that had crashed into a house. A dash camera captures the scene and the officers arriving, but just seconds after one officer gets out of his cruiser, disaster. Turns out the car had struck a gas line. Three people in the house suffered burns, one to nearly half of her body, and two of them are still in hospital. Two police officers suffered minor injuries. The driver was unhurt but was arrested for not having a valid driver's license. Yikes. No kidding. Yikes is right. Sorry for all of you uh, watching on the radio. Check it out online. Hey, you should have seen it. Um, It's like a rock movie. (laughs) (laughs) Golden moments in the NHL playoffs. It continues. Mm -hmm. It won't stop. This is quite amazing. And you know, since 1960, I think there have been 64 expansion teams in the big four North American sports leagues. So NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, NHL. And none had a winning record in their first year until the Vegas Golden Knights came along. But even Vegas themselves, the team, the management, the ownership, didn't foresee this happening. In fact, GM George McPhee said before the start of the season, the goal for the Golden Knights was to be a playoff team in three years and a Stanley Cup contender in six years. But after winning the Pacific Division and sweeping out the LA Kings last night in four games in round one, the Golden Knights now await the winner of the Sharks and the Ducks. And according to the odds makers, who of course work in Vegas, the Knights are now the co-favorites to win the Cup. Now, there are different odds if you look around, but one set of odds has Vegas and Nashville now even at 4-1. to one. At the start of the season, before the playoffs, Vegas was 200-1 to one to win the Stanley Cup. I put the Leafs in there. They are 20-1, to one, and Winnipeg is 15-2, to two, if you like. All right. Flyers and Penguins, of course. The Penguins have won the Stanley Cup the last two years in a row. Gets it back from Kessel up from... They score. That's a Jenny Malkin on the power play. So it's 1-0. Then Malkin sets up Phil Kessel. Penguins looking to take a 3-1 lead in this series. Watch uh, Gensel gives out the puck to uh, Crosby. 5-0 the final. Now it is 3-1. Looks like the Penguins are going to win the Battle of Pennsylvania. There are two members of the BC Lions organization that only need one name. Wally and Cato, and both have been equally as valuable to the BC Lions organization over the years. But Cato, the Lions' longtime equipment manager, has been with BC much longer than Wally, and this year he'll be back after undergoing a life-and-death battle with a kidney disease that he happily won. As he bleeds orange, and, you know, I guess, you know, it's a cliché, but it's true. I mean, you know, Cato's life is the BC Lions. Uh, Cato's life is... 
being downstairs as the equipment manager, taking care of the coaches, the players. For nearly 40 years, the BC Lions equipment manager, simply known as Cato, has tended to the want, needs, and demands of decades worth of football players. Cato was a baby-faced 13-year-old when he first joined the Lions organization. It's been family ever since. But his lifelong relationship almost came to an end last year because of a running battle with diabetes and kidney failure. Like last year was the first time in almost 40 years, I think, I missed a game. And to watch it on TV from my hospital bed was tough. And not being able to go to home games was tough. Tough all around because even though he doesn't wear a jersey, Cato's a big part of the Lions, a guy players absolutely love and respect. But last year, Cato spent more time off the sidelines than on it. Diabetes forcing the amputation of two of his toes. Yet the worst was still to come. Cato's kidneys were failing, forcing him from the field to the dialysis ward four times a week, four hours a session. I, I did it for a year, and you know I see the people that I was doing it with at the clinic, dialysis clinic, and... They were a lot worse than me. You know, I felt bad for them. Last year, 638 British Columbians were on the organ transplant list. Ken Kato Katsuya was part of it. 29 people died while waiting for a transplant. Kato, one of the 479 fortunate to receive a transplant. Thanks to somebody near and dear to his heart, his cousin Karen. My cousin comes up, she goes, here, I brought a little gift for you. And she brought me a little jewelry, like a little box. I open it up, there's a bean. And my brother's like, what kind of bean is it? I go... I used a kidney bean, and she kind of says, hey, I've been a match. Just over a month post-op, Cato and Karen are both doing well following the transplant, and their families on and off the sidelines couldn't be happier. How can you not like Cato? He's always there for you. You know, at this point, uh, he's back to uh, where he wants to be, uh, helping the BC Lions uh, make the players look good and win some games. There will be another B.C. born and raised major leaguer to watch. Uh, outfielder Tyler O'Neill has been called up by the St. Louis Cardinals. He might even play tomorrow against the Cubs. He's from Maple Ridge, a product of the Langley Blaze program, and the son of a former Mr. Canada for bodybuilding, Terry O'Neill. If you see Tyler O'Neill, you will see he pumps about as much iron as his dad did. Wow. He's like really? ripped up and he can hit the ball a long way. There you go. Well, fake news has become a huge issue these days, and computer technology makes it frighteningly easy to fabricate photos and even video. But a secretive program at the Pentagon is aiming to give us all the tools to spot a fake, even if we don't see it. Our enemies can make it look like anyone is saying anything at any point in time. Take a close look at this video. It looks and sounds like former President Barack Obama, except it's not. You see, I would never say these things. At least not in a public address. But someone else would. Someone like Jordan Peele. The video was made to alert internet users to deep fakes, easy manipulations of video, photo, or audio. This photo went viral after last month's March for Our Lives. A Parkland shooting survivor seems to be tearing up the Constitution, when in reality, she's destroying a shooting range target. We're concerned about anyone that could be putting... Uh, disinformation into the eyes of the public in the United States. Yes, Russia, absolutely. North Korea, Eastern Europe. Absolutely. All Everyone, even people within the United States. 
Here at DARPA, the secretive Department of Defense agency that helped develop Siri and driverless cars. I'm going to go ahead and, and play this. Dr. David Dorman is running a new program to fight against fabricated news, saying it's being produced all around the world. They're building new software and artificial intelligence that will allow government agencies and tech companies to scan any image to see if it's been altered. You might be able to look at the, the shadows here. Like this photo, where a plane was added. The program scans it and detects the doctoring with a heat map. The goal? Develop technology for the U.S. government, along with Facebook, Google, and other tech companies that will be ready in a matter of two years. How quickly can you figure this out with your machine learning that there's something wrong here? Some of the indicators work in uh, fractions of a second. Some take 10, 15 seconds. Moving forward, we need to be more vigilant with what we trust from the Internet. Making sure if you see it online, you can really believe it. Jolene Kent, NBC News, Arlington, Virginia.